0: Hello, podcast listeners. My name is Christopher Patterson. I am an assistant professor at the New York Institute of Technology here in Nanjing, China, and I am the host of this podcast, New Books in Asian American Studies. Today we are joined by Win Jin, who is an associate professor of English at Fudan University in Shanghai. We will discuss her book, Pluralist Universalism, an Asian Americanist critique of U.S. and Chinese multiculturalisms, which was published by Ohio State Press in 2012. Pluralist universalism compares histories and modes of multiculturalism in China and the United States. Whereas many see few correlations between China's ethnic policies and the multiculturalist policies of the U.S., Wenjin brings these narratives and histories together to show their common themes in attempting to incorporate diverse bodies into a state project and in making their respective countries seem exceptional in their tolerance and acceptance of diverse peoples. Wenzhen thus offers a rich, comparative study of multiculturalism that allows reader to see its more tangible form rather than to see one as superior to the other. Wenjin does this by reading literary narratives that feature a double critique in that they are critical of both the U.S. and China in using their supposed diversity of mon- minority peeper- peoples in order to justify and rationalize state power. Ultimately, pluralist universalism provokes forms of conciliatory or official multiculturalism and leads us to question the very identity politics that has formed the basis of globalization in the 21st century. So that was my own take on the book. Uh, Wenzhen, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Oh, that was a
1: wonderful summary, better than I could have done.
0: Okay. Well, thank, you. <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, could you begin the interview by telling us a bit about what brought you to study the histories of multiculturalism in China and the U.S. and your personal interest in Asian American studies?
1: Sure. I'd love to. Um, so I was, uh, I was born in China, um, and then I went to college in China, in Shanghai. Um, so I didn't go abroad. I didn't you know, have any notion of going abroad until mm. quite late. So then after I finished my B.A. in English, I went on to do a Ph.D. in English at Northwestern in the U.S. Um, and so I finished my degree in 2006. And that's when I got a job at Columbia University as an assistant professor in English. And so... Um, uh, I guess when I first uh, arrived in the U.S., I, I uh, clearly had my moments of cultural shock. Um, but it's more of a shock of seeing my own culture in a different light. So I realized how um, people have different perspectives on my own culture, on where I'm coming from. So that was a really eye-opening um, experience. And, um, and also, of course, I became... Um, a racialized being in the U.S. and so much of my experiences, not my entry into the field of Asian American literature. Uh, and when I was at Northwestern, I was lucky to have, uh, a few excellent Americanists on the faculty, uh, in the English department. So, uh, so my dissertation was co-chaired by Dorothy Wong, um, you know, who is a great Asian American literary scholar, Betsy Urquhart. Um, and so they gave me much help in helping me come come up with a topic that I was unique, uniquely suited to do. So I think that Asian American literature just gave me a, a critical vocabulary to put my experiences, my my um, the changes in my ways of thinking in the U.S. in critical terms. And so it spoke to my it spoke to my personal feelings, and also it was um, you know in the late well, in early, uh, 2000s, uh, the field of Asian American studies was on the ascent, was sort of in its heyday. So, um, so it was uh, quite natural that I was drawn to it. And, and so I wrote my dissertation on Chinese American fiction. Um, at that time, when I was entering the field, uh, very few scholars in Asian American literature were versed in Asian languages, or they, mm. um, very few incorporated Asian language literature into the purview of Asian American literature. Um, when I was, you know, doing my project on Chinese American fiction, I included uh, archives that, that, that no one had worked on before, archives or writings in Chinese. So I used this paradigm of diaspora to discuss uh, Chinese American fiction. And then, of course, I when I started my job at Columbia, um, and I liked the dissertation, but then after a while, it seemed a little narrow for, to me. The, the framework, the conceptual framework, the framework that I was using in my dissertation started to seem a little limiting because um uh, i was arguing in my dissertation that chinese american authors they figure a kind of double vision right a double perspective in their writings so there are um they're likely to intertwine uh, Chinese and American histories and uh, and different perspectives that they're exposed to on these two national histories. So they have a binocular vision, so to speak, right in their writings. But then I realized that I want to look more deeply at the the contacts, the national contacts that they brought together that interweave in their works. So I realized that I want to um, I want to understand more. How ethnicity, race, and multiculturalism have different genealogies uh, in, in, in separate uh, national contexts.
0: Okay, so this book is isn't based on your dissertation, or it's brought forth through the development of your dissertation.
1: Well, yeah, it, it's a radical departure from what I was doing in my dissertation. Even though I think it responds to some of the seminal questions I was raising in the dissertation, so I would think I would say it's a, a radical revision okay of my yeah old work
0: that, that's really interesting and it feels like it comes out of that um the transnational turn in a lot of ways but doing it in a way that's much more uh capable linguistically than a lot of other transnational projects um so so we are we are both currently living in china right now so it's kind of interesting to read this um where uh, we're talking about the U.S. is over there. The one thing that, that I often hear from both Chinese and uh, like foreign expatriates in China is that China has no race problem at all in comparison to the United States. Um, and the proof that people seem to offer up is that China is over 90% Han Chinese um, and that ethnic minorities live in autonomous regions. This, was a, this seems to be getting less easy to say this now with um, more... Uh, Uyghur kind of events happening and, and Tibet becoming uh, ever more kind yeah. of in the news. Um, but this would also, this it seems like this the comparison would be near impossible or just extremely difficult. Uh, and I think you bring them both types yeah, of multiculturalisms together. Oh, sorry, go ahead.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but it's and how counterintuitive this project can be. Mm. Um, and what you said is one side of the uh, the coin, and the other side is you know China is seen as a, an authoritarian. Um, state, so uh, it, it wouldn't, you know, it, it's inconceivable that it has something comparable to liberal multiculturalism, right? So, so there are different reasons to doubt the, 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 the feasibility or the, the legitimacy of bringing these two systems together. So I understand that, but I think that's that's partially uh, what was what I was trying to go against in doing this project. I wanted to see that. The two things, the the genealogy, two histories that might seem very disparate to each other, and, and I do want to um, expand our understanding of multiculturalism. Um, I don't think that it has to be rooted in uh, liberal political theory. It has, it can have other origins, intellectual origins, and political origins mm-hmm. as
0: well. I think one one thing that ties them together throughout the book uh, is that is how both countries kind of use the other as a foil in order to establish like why yeah. their way of dealing with minorities and minority rights is the better one. Uh, and I, mm-hmm. I I teach, you know, multicultural literature in China. So I'm teaching about American slavery, yellow peril, Latino immigration. And my Chinese student, I often have to push against the fact that this is not just further evidence that America is like represents disharmony and China. China then represents social harmony. Uh, that's often what Um, A lot of the essays that I see is kind of just like, well, this is more proof that China has has more harmony and the U.S. does not. Um, And then I, I remember kind of hearing the same when I bring up, you know, the Tibetan situation in the United States, that Americans kind of see this as just more proof that their system is better. Um, and I think one of the yeah. really nice things about your book is you you are constantly working through this pressure to identify one mode as more, more as better than the other, um, given this kind of this <laughs> political situation.
1: No, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I think this it's the, the myth that that China doesn't have ethnic problems is a myth, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it has been a more and more punctured in recent years, as you mentioned, right? Ethnic riots in in weaker areas in, in Xinjiang and also in uh, Tibet, and also this this rising um on on the feeling of being unsettled by uh, by the Muslim population and the religious issues in China, um, you know, especially after the uh, the um, armed military disturbance um, turbulence in in Central Asia. Right. So, as all those issues are coming to the fore in the political consciousness of um, present day Chinese, so I don't think anyone can now deny that mm-hmm. there is. Ethnic conflict, so there are ethnic tensions and conflicts in China. Um, But what you said uh, about how how um, this denial works, right, this mechanism of denial and 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 projecting the worst side of ethnic conflict onto the other nation, you know, so that's that's also um, something that you always observe. Um, You know, we were talking in recent in recent times, there was. uh, for this in the bench, right? And this, this become, uh, the, the coming down of, uh, of, uh, uh, you know, sort of, uh, supply like a suspect. In the town of Ferguson, right? So that mm-hmm. incident of, of course, aroused much interest. Uh, so you know, so many of them were sort of critiquing, right, um, the racial interest in, in America. But at the same time, uh, there, there are also many cultural incidents and events in China, in right now, that are reminding us uh, of uh, ethnic uh, discordance um, right here at home. Um, you know, the, the 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 movie version of Wolf Toten. Uh, just came out recently, and so that movie also raised uh, much controversy about how the Mongol culture is, misre- is misrepresented in the, in the movie and also in the original novel on which the movie is based. Right, a novel, the novel authored by a Han Han mm-hmm. writer. So, so yeah, so there are issues like that that they continue to crop up and and. Sort of unsettled, unsettled. So you can
0: see The in Chinese about uh, about not having any problem. hmm Yeah, and it, it, one thing that uh, shot out to me about your your history of Chinese multiculturalism was how, um, and uh, how drawn it was from the Soviet context, which to me I, I knew very little about, and so uh, it was quite interesting seeing a type of multiculturalism uh, that grew out of conceptions of ethnicity and identity. Uh, from a more Soviet context. And, it, and I, re, I remember also in the book you go through um, a fascinating kind of uh, uh, marginal history of the, how the Han identity was constructed um, almost, uh, before this, kind of as a response to colonialism and things like this, whereas I, I suppose it's so easy to be kind of taken in with the idea that this Han identity is like you know 5,000 years old and all this um, but that, that it was shaped very politically throughout the 20th century. Um, can you explain a bit about the the Chinese the, that context and the, that history that um, I and most of Americans are very unfamiliar with? Uh,
1: yeah, I just I, I offer a synopsis of uh, the history of how uh, the idea of, of ethnicity were constructed constructed in in Chinese history, especially in the 18th and 19th century, or right, during the Qin Dynasty, and then in the 20th century. Republic China and, and Communist China, as you mentioned the Soviet connection, uh, I, I remember saying in the book that um, the PRC, Right, so they borrow um, they borrow from the from the Soviet Union notions or definitions of, of ethnicity, mm-hmm. uh, which were in turn borrowed from uh, German uh, ethnologists and. And political theorists from the 19th century, like Louis Henry Morgan and, and Engels, right? People like that. And so, so, uh, the idea of, of ethnicity really came, uh, through a very, uh, a, a sort of, um, a very, in, you know, a very com- com- complicated and, and, uh, and torturous route, right? Before it reached, um, China and, and the PRC. So, so I'm not an expert in, in history, but, but but even before the PRC, I, during the Xinjiang with and as scholars like Tamil Hastley uh have pointed out, uh, uh, the, the the ruling branch they instituted a hierarchy of and ethnicities uh, to facilitate their, their rule over um a uh, majority an ethnic majority, the high majority. So um so so indigenous conceptions of ethnicity and race in Chinese, it would be right, So indigenous, um, uh, form, uh, sort of uh, formulations of these concepts from Western conceptions.
0: Do you do you think it would be fair, like in these, these comparative histories, that um, one thing that as an American jumps out is the kind of top-down uh, result uh, of attempts at social control that the PRC kind of seems to represent? And then the narrative, at least, of U.S. multiculturalism as being kind of a bottom-up, grassroots organizing thing, you know, uh, that we get through the civil rights discourse. Um, is that just my American perspective influencing that difference, or is there some truth, do you think, to that?
1: Um, I wouldn't uh, describe the U.S. model as bottom office to the Chinese as a state-sponsored model. Um, but I, I, I believe that uh, it can be, this is a binary thinking, can be prevalent among um, or can have some appeal mm-hmm. uh, for some people. Well, um, you know, first of all, the rights movement is, is not a completely bottom up movement. And, 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 you know, it's, along the way, it was appropriate by the state, right? Or coded in laws, in some in, um, rights. Um, um, you know, sort of in 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 legal ordinances, in, in statutes, in, in in official policies. Um, I, I wouldn't, you know, describe affirmative action as a state-sponsored policy, but it was, you know, it was partially supported by the state, and it was also uh, embraced by public institutions like many universities in the U.S. and, and other employers, other uh, or private, uh, both the public and the private sector. So, so public um, policies like that uh, played a major role in the U.S. Uh, in, in the U.S. Um, m- model of, of uh, multiculturalism as well. So, um, um, so I wouldn't, yeah, you know, I wouldn't depend, need to two models against each other in, in this very rigid fashion. Um, and also to social mobilization or social activism right social mm-hmm. activism uh has a longer deeper history in the U.S. i would i would completely agree with that even though i mean things are definitely changing since now we have um a more robust public sphere in china right with uh, with, uh, with, uh, with maybe on the web on the internet or in other in other formats so 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 I'm sure those public discussions will have some create there's an impetus for, for political changes as well or have some effect, effect on how public policies are form, formed in China. And I would also have to say that, uh, that the process in which you know, China uh, formed its public policies is also much more complicated than many might assume.
0: I think your book does a great job of uh, showing how, you know, even that question that I asked was just so loaded with like assumptions about uh, one one (laughs) being much less free than the other, and all these things. Um, But there is, there are some uh, other very interesting similarities uh, in the context that you go over. The uh, both countries are kind of post-colonial in some ways. Um, but they are definitely nowadays both imperial, and that seems to work kind of at the background of your text. Uh, But I was wondering if there's a sense here that the multiculturalism that they espouse in both cases either enables or kind of creates the conditions for imperial projects, uh, whether related to capitalism, tourism, militarism, cultural influence. Uh, Did you see much of a relationship there in both of them taking this kind of multicultural identity and then how it relates to the outside world as an empire?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, think mean, this is one of the central issues I discussed um, um, in regard to some of the figures and texts in my book. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned the Wolf Token, and that's sort of the central text. I, um, you know, the, the most cultural, the, the rhetoric of ethnic integration, right? You know, how, how the Han Chinese or uh, cultural elements, elements of Han uh, cultural Chinese culture, uh, they need to be integrated, they need to be together, because that will create a better race, right? a better Chinese race, or a better bolster um, Chinese nationalism. One of the implicit sort of meanings in this novel is a more muscular version of Chinese nationalism based on the fusion of different ethnic cultures. So so that uh, clearly is a case in which, as you were saying, right, uh, how multiculturalism is placed in the service of um national expansion and um, different versions of, of imperialism. Um and even in, in the case of Alex Crowe, right, his his novel Kenda Diary is also gestures gestures towards that. Um, yeah, you know, he is um in fact, in the book, he's drawing a conceptual linkage between the Westward uh, Movement and uh, and the the, the great the, the grand project of West development or you know the development of West in China. Projects seem to have similar implications for uh, for indigenous populations for those who are uh, forced into this process of modernization. And so, as you were saying, modernization, colonization are um, in, intellectual corollaries, uh, corollaries of, of ethnic integration. So, in many cases, ethnic integration is simply uh, a cover for the, a more, you know, worse, you know, uh, far worse things mm-hmm. that, that, that that happen.
0: Mm-hmm. Just so our listeners uh, understand, the the novel I, I, you're talking about, uh, The Wolf Totem, is that uh, Jin Rong's 20. 2004 novel, uh, translated in 2008 as The Wolf Totem. I just wanted to make that clear. Um, So uh, my next question uh, um, is actually on the the literature that you go over, so it's a good segue here. Um, Because you are a literary scholar, and your main method here is to analyze narratives uh, concerning ethnicity and race in both the US and China. Uh, Can you tell us a bit about how the literary narratives enable you to make this analysis and um, on metaphor as a gateway to this comparison or uh, on your other method of a uh, double critique um, that you read these narratives as critiquing both China and the U.S. and how you employ that as a method of reading?
1: Yeah, um, literature um, is it's a wonderful thing to look at because it always has access Always has things that seem to be gratuitous, uh, gratuitous um, that, that don't seem to make much sense or that, that don't contribute to a solid political reading. And but, but these, you know, uh, these moments of access are in fact um, perhaps the most illuminating moments in this text. Um, so to use panda diaries as, as an example again. Right um uh, even though this book is um you know the the main plot is pretty clear, and it has a character um named uh Ahu, uh, who is a recurrent character in Alex Close's writings um you know he is a uh, person citizen um and he has memories of the cultural revolution with his parents or exile to minority regions in China. Um, but he also lives in current day in, in present day china, where he has you know he makes com- um commentaries on, on on contemporary political situations in china. so the main plot might be clear um but first of all, the plot is not presented in a linear fashion it's it's chaotic in in all sorts of ways and incorporates not just um include not just fictional narratives by uh, uh about, about this character but also narrative intrusions upon On the part of the narrator, on those sort of, you know, um, snippets of uh, the news. But more importantly, it also has a really strange character, a, a panda. A panda a panda uh, who who talks, who speaks you know who, who befriends uh, the, the protagonist and who um, offers his perspective on the world as an animal so so then, then this novel is also you know, by by inc- by including this animal figure then starts to link racism and the uh, ethnic exclusion and nationalism to another a whole different issue which is' um, the sort of discrimination of the human domination over animals so that would be making really a broader um, argument uh, about how there is a certain way of thinking right in in different in, in human beings that that take and how they view. The, the natural world and how they achieve dominance over the natural world as well as weaker, the weaker races. Um, and so, 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 you know, so uh, by by extrapolating from those uh, moments, those kind of uh, enigmatic moments in the text, I'm I'm, I'm I'm able to make you know large and broader political arguments um, that are not limited to making political critiques or interventions in. U.S. and, and Chinese histories. Um, but, uh, you know, but, but it's then become, it then becomes possible to point out that international expansion also has implications for, uh, for human relationships with, with the natural world. Um, and, uh, um, and, and there is, there, there is affinity, um, between how we relate to, uh, the, the natural other and how it relate to the ethnic or the racial other. Um, so yeah, so there are examples like that um, that that show the power of literature in 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 enriching arguments. But also, uh, this entire project was um stimulated by or it, it was inspired by um by those literary works. um so i I, you know, I didn't have an argument and then then uh, forced this argument into other text but 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 it, it was in fact the argument was was in fact teased out of uh, my engagement with these uh, works. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I also mentioned in analyze in, in a different chapter um Yang Goling's novel, um Fu And also, I, and there's another text, um, you know, a Chinese Muslim author, right, uh, Jian and his, his, um, his, his book, So, uh, A History of the Soul, which documents 17th century uh, China. So all those things, um I think they, they are, um uh, they're really the foundation of, of my conceptual framework. They're not just examples, they're, they're the foundation
0: of that framework mm-hmm. uh, since we're, we were, we spoke so much about Alex Kuo uh, could I ask you about that chapter now that's chapter three where you look at his work um, and you argue that he as you say he does yoke together the all these different things—the uh, environmentalism, the the animals—with uh, uh, the Chinese ethnic minority history, but he also um, puts them in conversation with Native American history and uh, Native Americans. Oh, yeah. Uh, so what do, what do we uh, gain from that kind of metaphorical um, comparison?
1: Yeah, um, that was a great question because it reminds me of uh, you know, when it when it came out, of course, in you know in in the in, in around 2006. Um, I'm sure, I'm sure, uh, Alex Kuo wasn't, you know, wasn't thinking, wasn't thinking about real, uh, um, political debates in China at the time. But, but at that time, um, um, when, when the, this project of, uh, developing China's West, right, or the development of, of China was, was, um, you know, was, was underway. And so, so there were many discussions in, among Chinese intellectuals about how this extension, right, relates to or compares to, um, 19th century actual discussions and political discourses, uh, around this comparison. But this comparison was already prefigured in, in Alice novel. Um, and, 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 what you mentioned, um, the idea of indigeneity and how that applies, you know, for, for quo at least, or applies equally to Chinese minorities and, and U.S., um, Native American population. I think it needs to be, um and that 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 parl- because there is a real connection, uh Chinese minorities uh at least part a few groups of, of Chinese minorities the, um they 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 are just like indigenous populations in the Americas, right? They have an ancestral claim to the land that they inhabit, um, they have a longer history with the land uh than the Han Chinese who later and uh, come to their regions. Came to their regions, so um, so so by you know by standard definitions of, of indigeneity, um, you, you you can definitely include um, some ethnic groups in China in that category. So, um, but but of course the, the Chinese are never, uh, or those minorities are hardly ever discussed in the context of, of indigenous indigeneity. So in this case, it's another um, it's another case of you know of constructing a sort of a um, a kind of weak universal of divergent histories like the u s and China right so a so part of my larger intellectual goals in this book is to is to construct a kind of critical universalism right so I'm not saying that everything applies equally to these two histories to these two contexts but one has to have um, uh, a, a certain Alternative to that universalism, we need to be able to talk about countries with different political systems, with different cultural traditions within one coherent analytical framework, or otherwise, uh, otherwise there wouldn't be any meaningful dialogue.
0: I mean, it feels like you're by doing that, you're also resisting like all like the um, that binary model that you were talking about, where it's in the interests of, of both states to see them as so completely different. And here you're 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 tracing the kind of metaphorical comparisons here uh, in a very rich way, and uh, you know it it really provokes a lot of questions, like how, you know, what could a settler colonial universalism kind of look like if if we were to uh, take that like that model of analysis and throw it into China and see like what what does it mean for Han Chinese to be kind of settler colonialists. Um, but you did mention this, uh, critique of universalism here, uh, and this brings me to the title of your book, which I sh- probably should have asked you about earlier, um, that pluralist universalism, universalism as the title of your book. Uh, and I, I'm also familiar with a lot of comparative multiculturalist projects and there's so many different like terms for multiculturalism, uh, and,
1: yeah.
0: uh, official multiculturalism, uh, critical, socialist, liberal multiculturalism and all this, um, but then you kind of offer pluralist universalism as something a bit different. Can you ex- uh, explain your thinking behind uh, that term and, and all those other multiculturalist terms?
1: Um, there is probably a better way of titling my book. <laughs> so pluralist universalism definitely is not the best choice um, that I could have come, come up with. Um, but, you know, first books are... So this idea, I, I took that idea from an Indian scholar, Harris, uh Bihari. Correct. Right. So he has this book, Rethinking Multiculturalism, where he raises this term to describe a central um, tension within multiculturalism, or a central tension that, that undergirding multiculturalism, Um which is that it has to, multiculturalism has to uphold. Uh, universal citizenship, right? You know, it has to defend uh or to create equal rights for for different ethnic groups, for different communities, um, equal access to uh to uh resources to political power. So it has to um a maintain this, this notion of republican citizenship then uh any form of multiculturalism whether uh, official or critical uh, has to somehow juggle juggle a conflicting a set of conflicting demands this, right? Um, so so the difference between official multiculturalism and the more critical forms of that is simply you know how much a weight you put on difference whether you see difference as the as uh, as a value in itself or whether difference is just something that, that will be that that um, that ultimately um, can or, or should be subsumed under sameness or identity. So um, so I, I use this term to, to indicate this unending tension, the unceasing tension within any multicultural project, um, and uh, and I'm trying to say that this term, like any sort of um, any um, political term, can be interpreted in different ways. And people can take this term and then take that term into their own hands and and, and turn it into a critical tool as well, uh, but it can serve the interests of uh, of um, uh, of the government or, or state interests. Um, um also. So yeah, so it's a trend that's for grads, um can be interpreted in more the interpretation, but it also yeah, suggests it towards that essential um, tension. Um how it might um how it compares to other ways of describing multiculturalism. Uh, I'm not entirely sure about that question. I do think that um, you know multiculturalism eh is, you know, it's present in the subtitle. So I, I, I can't just use that word again mm-hmm. in the main title. So the main title has to, um, has to be meaningful, but not repetitive. Um, so then I came up with, uh, Universalism. And, 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 as, as I was saying, you know, I was always interested in, 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 in tackling this idea of critical universalism, how we mm-hmm. can, constr- how we can imagine cultural or social alliances that do not erase differences that in fact that, that, um, centers the center, you know, that, that, that center on, 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 valuing difference. So I, so I was always in, interested in that question. So I guess that went in unconsciously into the title of the book.
0: Yeah. Mm. Well, you, you especially, uh, kind of flesh out this term, uh, and I'm going to skip through, I, I feel like we we answered almost all the questions that I had for the chapters, um, besides the fifth chapter, which is actually more on this concept of pluralist universalism. Uh, you're reading uh, Yan Gehling's uh, 1996 novel, uh, Song, translated in 2001 as Lost Daughter of Happiness. And in that chapter, you show how the novel attempts to call attention to the conditions needed for an ideal form of multiculturalism and I might be mistaken, but it feels like that I- ideal form of multiculturalism could be this pluralist universalism uh, that you're speaking about, or that it maybe it calls attention to the conditions needed for this, as to say that the conditions are almost impossible <laughs> to actually produce this. Um, can you uh, explain a bit what you're doing in that chapter and how it, it kind of extrapolates on this idea of uh, pluralist universalism?
1: No, it's yeah, it was what you were saying that ideal multiculturalism is a pretty impossible uh, notion, uh, just as this, this um, novel, I and mean, this is a pretty impossible novel. Um, I and mean, this novel, uh, written by Yang Goling, Well, Yang Goling is an immigrant, a Chinese immigrant writer. Um, she now, I think, you know, um, lives permanently in the U.S., uh, but sometimes goes um, comes back to China to give talks and lectures. Um, she is um, a very prolific writer, and and I believe that "Suzhou" is one of her uh, favorite works uh, by herself. Um, so this work um, depicts a Chinese uh, prostitute in the 19th century in uh, in San Francisco Chinatown. So as, as we were, you know, as as we all know, um, you know, Chinatowns in 19th century America um, do have those uh, prostitutes, and um, you know, they 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 bring Chinese women. Into their communities and, and many of those women, but you know, some of them are marriage merchants, of course, but, um, but many of them, uh, do then become prostitutes. So. So it's largely based on uh, on real history of of uh, uh, 19th century Chinatown, but in any case, but then how this story plays out then is completely counterintuitive, because this um the story about her um, doesn't focus on her misery on her suffering on how she is exploited by other men in Chinatown or by um, by um, other members of the community, but. But it's really about how she um, has this, cultivates this, perhaps unconsciously, but this extremely stoic attitude towards being exploited, being sexually used. She completely opens herself up to anyone who um, visits her, and she develops this um, very unique relationship with a, a white boy, Chris, right? a, a white teenage teenager, Um Boy uh, who starts to, uh, who, um, you know, who develops a crush on her. So, so this, the, story detects an impossible woman. Um, but for me, it really, um, it connects, right? This, this, this novel and its approach to this uh, character connects to, well, relationships or, or, uh, sexual acts are often seen as a way of affirming the self or affirming or, um, boasting the ego. Um, whereas um uh as, as Basani points out it can also be turned into a, a a process a process of shattering the ego of um, um of merging of, of um uh tearing down the difference, the, the differences or right, the the divisions between self and other so so if you think of a completely new psyche a completely new attitude toward otherness and so i'm trying to argue, i'm i'm arguing that um Yingling's novel um is radical in that way right so it creates an impossible character who embodies this um this this most uh, idealized notion of sexuality um and i believe that it really uh, that the novel can be read uh, or can be construed to to uh, delve into the question of psychic conditions for the kind of ideal multiculturalism that I'm trying to call into being. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that's my take on, yeah.
0: It is fascinating, too, that that uh, ideal multiculturalism, in a sense, comes at the such expense and, and under economic duress, uh, and the openness is such a sexual openness in the, and throughout the novel. Uh, it seems, It's so rich in, in those kind of themes. Um, I suppose, like all of Jan Gilding's work, is uh, well. Uh, Winjin, we've taken up a lot of your time. Can you tell us about any uh, new research that you've been working on? Like what's the next step after this uh, after this book? And it was written in two thousand twelve or in twenty twelve. So I'm, I bet you've been mulling a lot over the next projects. Yeah,
1: yeah, uh, yeah. I've been thinking about what the, the next steps. So, so in my first book, I'm interested in intellectual or genealogies of um, of ideas, so I started to move a little, a, a bit um, away from political concepts. Now I'm more interested in structures of feeling and how, how I, you know, how um, how our attitudes toward um, privacy or um, individualism or, or uh, public spheres and how how our sentiments around those uh, around those. Um, uh, ideas, uh, can also change over time and also have, um, have political, uh, have, have, you know, their specific context and implications. So now, um, so I, sort of, I, I, in other words, I've moved uh, a bit into affect studies or emotion studies, mm-hmm. um, but, also, but still in a comparative framework. Um, so I, I recently put on the, as an early twentieth century on um, in an early twentieth twentieth century Chinese novel, um, which sort of all from of sentimental fiction um, produced in 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 um, in America. So I so in that essay I looked at how uh, the Chinese translation of Uncle Tom's cabin, right, in the beginning of of the twentieth century gave rise to sentimental fiction. Um Uh, written in Chinese. So, 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 um, so I think my, my new projects as, uh, in, in general to continue my, um, external experimentation with, with, um, comparative readings in my, uh, you know, uh, uh, in my first book, um, but just sort of, um, broaden my inquiry, um, into, into histories of feelings. So, um, so that's sort of one piece of, of this new direction that I'm moving into. And also, um, I also finished another, which is coming out, but I also finished another essay on, um uh, sort of end of, um, on the more, on the much more, uh, recent text, Um um, Karen Kiyamashita's novel, I mm. Tell, mm-hmm. which documents the beginning of the Asian American movement, right, um, between 1968 and 1978. 70, but so I also sort of um, uh, put that uh, novel in, in conversation with um, in theories of emotions and, and cognition and, and see how this novel suggests a different way of thinking about uh, ethnic movements and communities. Um, so uh, so in addition to working on 20th century texts, I'm also um, backpedaling a little bit into see how how uh, modern understandings of you know like of, of things like privacy and, and and the public sphere started uh, originated uh, in the 18th century, and, and so I also started to compare 18th century. Chinese novels, a page news from uh the late Ming dynasty, which would be the sixteenth and seventeenth century. So then um, so, so in that project I wanted to um I w- I want to look at um, um, sort of beginnings of, of modern feelings or modern structures of feeling in in Chinese and English contexts, and how they how they um, took their how they, you know, how they, how they went on similar paths, uh, but also diverged in different ways. So, so in, in, in other words, I think my, my investments in, in comparative work, um, has sort of taken me into two different directions, right? Um, you know, sort of a 20th century, uh, 20th century, uh, studies of 20th century, um, structures feeling, but also, um, but also how those structures feeling originated in, in, uh, in an earlier point in time
0: okay yeah that sounds fascinating it sounds like a very almost natural like a uh, follow-up to this book actually i uh, want to thank you for uh, being on the show today oh
1: yeah no no thank you, thank you for all the questions yeah thank you oh,
0: bye bye thank you for listening to my interview with winjin on her book pluralist universalism if you have any questions grievances or suggestions for books for this podcast you can message me on the new books and asian american studies facebook page see you next time